Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome to the Football Digest podcast. I am your host, Connor Bromley, and I'm joined by Ned Keating. Ned had a full plan worked out today, but then there's some big transfer news just broken in the last sort of 15 minutes or so. So Jude Bellingham confirmed to be moving from Borussia Dortmund to Real Madrid. Probably the worst kept secret in football, really. I think we knew this one was happening. But what's your initial thoughts on this move? Well, firstly, thank you to both uh, Borussia Dortmund and Real Madrid doing us a favour by announcing it just before we went live. Normally, we have a nasty habit on this podcast of of news coming in after we've recorded, although we did have uh, a great episode earlier in the season where we had a Chelsea fan on just as they were sacking Thomas Tuchel. So that was that was great, which you can you know, go back and find. I think it's obviously back from September. As for this move, um, I'm really excited to see Jude Billingham in, in Real Madrid colours um, and, and in La Liga as well. Um, He's a he's a phenomenal talent. Um, I think we can all see that, you know, kind of before the World Cup and kind of leading up to it in between, um, you know, probably for about 18 months before that, some people maybe weren't as familiar with his game. Um, I'm not trying to paint myself as like a football hipster here, but obviously where he was playing in the Bundesliga, we kind of maybe went a little bit under the radar a bit, but those of us who can see him regularly in the Champions League as well as the Bundesliga, we we know how good a talent he is. Then he kind of really cemented himself as a as a teenager, still dominating the midfield for England in the World Cup. And, and a lot more people, I think, stood up and took notice of him uh, amongst England fans, at least then in the World Cup. Um, and it's it's the the next step up for him. Um, and this isn't disparaging to Dortmund. You know, you look at it in years gone by and Jadon Sancho left them for for Manchester United, Erdogan Haaland left for Manchester City. You know, there's there's been uh, plenty of players who have left Dortmund to go and join Bayern Munich down the years as well. So, they, you know, they're, they're kind of on that cusp of... They're a big club in Europe, but they're not that elite level at the moment yet. So, of course, these players always do move on. Um, but he is... It, it's just going to be really exciting uh, to, to see him at Real Madrid in the next few years, not least because that midfield as well. It depends on where Eduardo Camavinga ends up playing for Real Madrid. They've used him as a left-back quite a lot this season. Um, but a midfield of, of Bellingham, Camavinga and Chiromani, I mean, you know, we were speaking on, on the podcast earlier this week about building squads that can be around for 10, 12, 15 years. Well, you know, these three in midfield for Real Madrid really can be, you know, a dominant force in, in Europe. If they all click and, and all perform well together, that they can be given their ages around for that 10, 12, 15 year period for Real Madrid. Do you think this is a, a statement from Real Madrid, you know, A, getting a player of his quality who was so wanted, but B, he's an English player who hasn't went to the Premier League and at a time where Real Madrid and Barcelona are fighting against the Premier League strength, trying to set up the European Super League, trying to, you know, take away power from the Premier League. The fact that they won the Bellingham sweepstakes just shows that they are still, you know, the big guns in European transfers and, you know, the Premier League. While it can be big, while it can be exciting, they still don't have the pull of a Real Madrid. The, the thing I wonder is, and this kind of takes us back to when he first joined Dortmund um, a few years back. He had the chance to go to a Premier League club then. You know, Manchester United, I think, were, were definitely uh, very, very interested in, in Bellingham back then. But he chose to go to Dortmund. Um, and whether or not, you know, the decisions behind that, he, he probably suspected that he would get more first-team football. 
um, which he ultimately did. I don't think he would have got those opportunities as early on had he gone to Manchester United. But equally, that's allowed him to develop away from the limelight. And I think that maybe have played a part in this move to Real Madrid, that if he comes back to the Premier League, it's all eyes on him week in, week out. What's he going to do this week? How's he going to perform? What highlight reels will we have from this game? And when he doesn't do that in a game and, and things don't go well for him, which inevitably they do over the course of a season, every single player has it. Ronaldo, Messi, even in their primes, had sticky patches over the course of brilliant seasons. So if that came in the Premier League, it's, it's the pressure then that comes with it and the spotlight that comes with it. Goes off to Real Madrid. He's still under the spotlight for sure. We've seen how relentless the, the Spanish press can be. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure Gareth Bale has many tales about how uh, on him they were in, in terms of his performances over the years. But in terms of the English press, he's going to be away from that again, away from the limelight and away from, you know, those those additional pressures of being a brilliant English player in the English league. In terms of what they offer as well, um, you're correct in that, you know, I'm sure Real Madrid will be delighted to have beaten, you know, the likes of Liverpool and Manchester City to his signature. And yeah, you are correct in that it's a loss for the Premier League in terms of marketing themselves. You know, this Bellingham will be one of the best players of his generation. There is no shadow of a doubt in that. And for the Premier League not to have him for longer, he may end up coming to the Premier League later on in his career. We, we don't know at this stage, of course, and we don't know how things are going to pan out. But for the Premier League not to have him for longer than perhaps they will do if he does come further down the line and to, to kind of use him as a massive marketing tool around the world as well because he's he's such a, his head's so screwed on. You listen to him in media interviews and he handles himself brilliantly. He's a good looking chap as well. Let's not, you know, let's not make any bones about that. He is a perfect marketing tool and, and the Premier League I'm sure would have loved to have had him as one of their league and lights in terms of that. Um so yeah, in, in that respect, Real Madrid will we'll view this as a bit of a coup to take one of England's best players from from under the top guns in England's best, uh, the the biggest clubs in England's noses. And and as you said, there is it is it a sign that perhaps they still have that lure? Maybe maybe he just sees that you know this there's this young group of players coming through at Real Madrid again, going back to that idea of being around for the next ten to fifteen years that that he can kind of you know be a part of and, and hopefully create a dynasty at the club that we've seen in years gone by. Well, the deal is understood to be worth an initial 103 million euros, further 30 million euros in add-ons. That means that it would be more expensive than the Jack Grealish deal. So he would be the most expensive English player. So there's a, a stat for Jude Bellingham and just a note, his brother apparently moving to Sunderland as well. So both Bellinghams on the move, getting big moves. I don't know which one's bigger, um, but I'll not leave that one up for debate. I'll let it run. The audience decide which move is bigger. We'll switch now, though. We talked yesterday about Kylian Mbappe. Um, a John Cross report on Mirror Football today notes that Premier League clubs are unlikely to make a move for him as he wants to move to Real Madrid. Mbappe, of course, released a statement yesterday where he said the media were lying and he didn't want to move and he was happy in Paris, but he also wasn't going to sign a new deal. Um so, I mean, what do you make of that whole situation? We did talk about the Premier League yesterday. Seemingly that isn't on the cards. So Mbappe to Real Madrid, a case of when, not if. Yeah, and I think it will come at the end of his contract. Um, you know, Real Madrid, I, I think, are, are clever in that respect and they'll kind of wait to get him at a, a lower price than perhaps they would otherwise have to pay. I just get the feeling that we we keep going around in this cycle. And I think we were here last year talking about Kylian Mbappe probably were last year uh, about Mbappe going off to Real Madrid. 
I get the feeling as well that the summer before, I think we've had this all flare up and that, you know, it's all he said, she said between uh, Mbappe and and the PSG board. Must get a little bit boring for their fans, I suspect, that this kind of, it's a soap opera every year, year after year, involving the same, you know, Mbappe against the board, Mbappe wanted to move to Real Madrid. There's no change in that respect. You know, some sequels, you do get a bit of change. You know, they like to follow the same narrative. If you look at James Bond films, but you do get a little bit of change between them. But this just seems relentlessly the same repeating, repeating. It's almost like Groundhog Day uh, as we go through it year on year. Um, it's a mess. It's it's a massive mess. Um, for Paris Saint-Germain, it's disappointing as well because of, you know, as, as we said earlier on the podcast this week, in terms of the direction of travel that they want to go in, yes, Mbappe is a big superstar, but he's a young Frenchman, the kind of young Frenchman that they want to build this team around and kind of, you know, change tacks a little bit in in their dealings in the transfer market where previously they've gone after superstars. So Mbappe would be the perfect kind of poster boy for that young, brilliant French star um, leading, leading the line for them. But, you know, to lose Messi... And to lose Mbappe in a window would be catastrophic for PSG in terms of their standing within European football. Of course, the Holy Grail for them remains the Champions League. Manchester City have finally conquered that Everest this summer. So in terms of clubs that have spent a lot of money or have had you know, money from uh, what we could call oil money, for, for want of a better term, they're next in line to kind of try and achieve that dream. And, and, and if they were to lose Messi and Mbappe in the same summer, then I think that puts them a, a lot further back down the road than where they want to be in terms of progress. But it's a it's a huge huge mess, um, and the difficulty is is that it's not going to be resolved this summer. I don't think. I don't think Mbappe is going to get the move that he wants to Real Madrid. So then we arrive at the start of the legal season in August. Who budges? You know, do PSG suck it up and and play him because he's a brilliant player? You you, you know, it's that tough one of. You know, he may want to leave, but you still want to play him. So then do PSG suck it up? And if PSG don't, then they're still paying the wages for a player who and, and big wages at that who, who doesn't want to be at the club. Um, yeah, it, as, as I said there, the, the one word to sum up this whole situation is a mess. Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh, we'll jump now to similar on the same lines, but Harry Kane allegedly met with PSG last month. I don't know if that's alleged. I don't know if that's been confirmed yet, but Colin Miller on Mirror Football reporting on Kane to PSG. The Mbappe situation means that Kane's going to be their target to replace him. Uh, Spurs don't want to sell to a Premier League club. Ancelotti reportedly wanted Kane as his top target, but now that's complicated due to the Mbappe situation. So we've kind of got a bit of a transfer love triangle going on here. Harry Kane at PSG, to me, doesn't feel like the right fit. What do you make as a Tottenham fan of that rumour? Uh, I like the fact that you mentioned love triangle there, just as, as we've got Love Island back on the TV. It does make sense to have a, a love triangle of our own in, in the transfer window. You're right. I don't think Harry Kane to PSG makes much sense. I think in respect of where they're trying to go again, what I mentioned earlier in terms of, of, of their, you know, our understanding of their 
transfer plans this summer are not signing these big marquee players. They're they're, they're moving on to to signing young French talents that they think that they can develop and kind of almost build like a, not like a French national team, but a, a team that kind of the whole of France, not just Parisians, but the whole of France can be proud of it and, and get behind. Um, so in that regard, I don't think it, it ties in much with with uh, PSG's aims. Um, equally, I don't think Paris is the best fit for Harry Kane. Um, and this isn't, you know, disparaging towards Real Madrid, but, um, sorry, towards Paris Saint-Germain, but, we talk about Harry Kane being a great player. Yes, he will get trophies in his cabinet if he moves to Paris Saint-Germain. I'm sure Mauricio Pochettino, if they're still in contact, would have told him that, you know, the fact that Pochettino broke his duck um, uh, with, with Paris Saint-Germain as well, such is the, the level of competition that exists within that league. But it's not, I don't feel that they're on the same elite level as Bayern Munich, as Real Madrid, other clubs that have been touted as potential destinations for Harry Kane, of course, Manchester United as well. Um, and I don't think a move abroad would suit Kane. He's, you know, he's from my neck of the woods. He's not a million miles away from where I grew up. I, I played rugby as a kid with guys that went to school with him. And, you know, kind of speaking to them, they always said that he was a grounded person, very family orientated. Um, and he's got that big support network around him in London. Now, of course, if he moves to Manchester, he's still away from that, but he's a lot closer than if he would be in Paris or Madrid. So with respect to that, I don't suspect that he will move out of the country um, this year. I mean, also as well, he's got the whole idea of trying to break that Premier League goals record. If, if you know, he'd broken that already, then yes, I think he'd be more open to uh, moving abroad at this stage in his career. But I think where he's very, very uh, record-driven and he likes this idea of, of kind of breaking records that, that are there in front of him and Shearer's one, you know, probably needs one and a half good seasons, I would say to, you know, uh, uh, maybe, maybe two good seasons if we, uh, if, if we're being kind to him, but yeah, a couple more good seasons. He'll be very close, if not on top of Shearer's record. And, and that will be something that, that means so much to him. So I think with regards to that, that's why we won't be seeing him move to perhaps Paris or Madrid. Yeah. I feel like the move for Kane was that Man City one a couple of years ago. That would have really, really been a solid move for him and he would have scored so many goals at Man City. Um, next up, David Rea, another Tottenham link. Um, Matthew Cooper from Mirror Football reporting that Man United have an interest now in David Rea. When we talked yesterday about the David De Gea situation, his contract potentially moving to Saudi Arabia. Spurs heavily linked with Rea to replace Hugo Lloris. Brentford already have their replacement in. Um, so we know that Rea's pretty much going to go this summer price tag is 40 million pounds how do you see this one playing out do you think David Rea is more likely to end up at Spurs or do you think he's he, Man United could be the, the right fit for him let's be honest if both clubs get an offer accepted and both clubs offer the same wages um, again there could be differences in you know kind of the, the, the finer details of a contract but let's say they're both even and they both offer the same things you're not going to go to Tottenham like I'm a Tottenham fan and it's 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 blatantly obvious that who's got the bigger draw, who's got the bigger, you know, <clears throat> luster. And it's it's Manchester United 100%. Um, you know, it's not just the fact that they've got European football, but I think that they're a lot further down the road in terms of progression and where they'll be going um, than, than Tottenham are at the moment. Obviously, Tottenham only just hiring Ange Postacoglu. So in terms of any journey, they're at the very start of it. Um, I'd be worried for Spurs if this move doesn't work out uh, because 
it does seem from what I'm reading that there aren't many other names being banded about for Tottenham. Um, at least, you know, there has been talk about potentially one of the two Chelsea goalkeepers coming across. But if Chelsea are happy to let them go, it's not saying that I feel very comfortable about um, in terms of, you know, if they're not good enough for Chelsea. I'm not saying that we're on that level with Chelsea. Again, I expect Chelsea to be better than Tottenham this year. I think Tottenham are going to struggle. Um, but I would suspect that, you know, we can kind of do a little bit better than that. And that's the fear here is that Raya seems to be the big name for Spurs. There doesn't seem to be many other names being mentioned. There isn't, you know, oh, if we miss out on him, we've got the backup. You look at Liverpool, they knew that they were going to miss out on Bellingham. So they went and quickly got uh, McAllister. They have a list. They have a, a, a list of names ready available. Okay, so we can't get A, we'll get B or C or D. For Spurs, that's, that's the fear with Raya. The interesting thing is that Manchester United, of course, they have been linked with others as well. Diogo Costa from Porto. Um, so is there pressure on this deal from Manchester United from that point of view? No, because they've got targets and they're working on different things. So they'll look at, okay, with Raya, if they're not, if they think that it's not good value for money for them, then they can just step away and, and look at the other targets that they've got. Um, but yeah, going back to, to what I said at the start, I think if all things are equal, then Manchester United will get Raya if they offer the same money for Brentford, if they offer the same wages for the player as Tottenham do. I, I cannot see a reason why you would go to Tottenham over Manchester United. You could say that he's based in London, might want to stay in London. David Raya came to Brentford from Blackburn. So he's lived in the Northwest before, so he, he might he might enjoy a return up there for sure. And what do you think Spurs have got in terms of a transfer budget? I mean, because we, we had a, a Spurs rumour yesterday where it was Jaden Sancho by £50 million. We see here that David Rea, £40 million is the price tag. Spurs will probably want to come in at 30 something like that, you know, a bit under that. But what do they actually have to spend this summer for the amount of surgery that's needed on a team that missed out on the top seven? Were they finished last season? Eighth in the end? You know, they had a really poor season for them. Probably the first time they finished outside the top six in maybe 10 years. I think it's the first time. Yeah, I think it might be the first time since Harry Redknapp's uh, first six months in charge of us that we've been, yeah, 15 years, I think is what I've seen, um, that we're without European football full stop um, this season. Um, You're right, needs a lot of surgery, but... The, the the thing is, is that you talk about, you know, transfer budgets and we have been told, you know, from, from what we're seeing is that it's going to be far reduced for Tottenham this summer than it, is, than it was for, for Antonio Conte last year to turn them into title winners. And we, we saw how well that ended up working out. Um, but in terms of the budget, you know, you look at, you look at Brentford, you look at Brighton, you know, this budget being less than, you know, if it's somewhere between 50 and 100 million, you've got to get creative and you have to start thinking about kind of, you know, what players can we bring in for that money? Do we have to move certain players on, et cetera, et cetera. You look at what Brighton and Brentford are able to do, where they're able to find these players, you know, uncut gems almost, you know, and kind of, you know, polish them and turn them around and, and make big profits on them. How comes they're able to locate them and Tottenham can't? This is where I think Tottenham have to start, um, you know, not not just even this summer, but in, in subsequent windows. I think Tottenham have to start looking outside of perhaps where they think they should be looking in terms of transfer targets. You know, we can't offer European football this summer. We don't probably have the budgets to compete with Manchester City, Manchester United, Newcastle, Chelsea, probably Arsenal now as well, and and likely Liverpool. I know it kind of fluctuates with Liverpool as well. Sometimes they have money to spend, sometimes they don't. But I think in terms of that, we don't have money to compete there. So we shan't be looking at players that are being linked with those clubs. We have to start looking at, you know, how can Brighton go and find Yumetomis, Yumekalisters? How how can they unlock them, find them, and we can't? And that's, that's the issue for Spurs here is that, yes, the budget's going to be reduced. So that means that we have to start getting a bit more creative, go and find these players that, you know, 
they're showing potential, but they're not showing the full potential yet. And, and others aren't looking at, we have to, you know, like I said, how come Brighton, Brentford players, teams like that can find these players, but Tottenham can't. That's the market that we should be looking into now going forward as a club. Um, and again, you know, those players ordinarily will not cost as much as, as you know, the kind of higher class players. And then when the day comes, because I think as well with Tottenham, we will remain a selling club. I think that's clear as day. We, we don't have the success yet or the revenue yet to be able to be just a buying club. We have to be a selling club as well. I think still um, when that day comes to sell these players on, like Brighton and Brentford both have, we will sell them on for a tidy profit as well. So that's where I think Tottenham needs to change tact and, and in line with a reduced transfer budget this summer. That will help massively. to get in for the director of football job at Spurs and tell them what they need to do. Uh, we've got some quick rumours now. So Football London reporting that Arsenal are considering a bid for Moses Castillo from Brighton and they still want Ilkay Gundogan. Uh, both, I would say, are rumours that have persisted uh, for a long time. Castillo linked heavily in the January. Do you think that's going to be an either or? Do you think Arsenal probably want both of them if they can? It, to me, feels like Gundogan is maybe playing the field a little bit in the media and linking himself around to maybe get a better contract somewhere else? My understanding is going to one to Barcelona is pretty much signed, sealed and delivered. Um, so I wouldn't expect him to be joining Barcelona. Uh, sorry, I wouldn't be expecting him to join Arsenal this summer. Casado, of course, they have a long-standing interest in him, but um, Arsenal have now got a free run at Declan Rice this morning. Uh, Bayern Munich have pulled out of that deal. Um, so in respect of that, if they are keeping hold of Thomas Partey and they're bringing in Declan Rice and they've already got Jorginho, I'm not sure where Caicedo fits into that mould um, or, or that team, sorry. Um, so both of those, sorry to debunk them and, and be the misery guts, but yeah, I think Gundogan um, is is close to joining Barcelona and where Rice is cl- close to joining Arsenal. I can't see a move for Caicedo materialising this summer. Um I could be wrong. Again, we could come back in September and they've got Rice, Gundogan and Caicedo all in midfield together starting the game. But I, I cannot, at this moment, I, I don't think Arsenal have serious, a serious chance of signing or at least beating Barcelona to, uh, to Gundogan's signature. And, and I don't think they've got a serious chance of signing Caicedo if they're so close to signing Rice. I would probably agree with that assessment. The Daily Express is reporting reporting that Todd Bowley is targeting six more signings. So yesterday we had, I think, 12 players leaving. This one's targeting six more signings. The report links them with Andre Ornana, the the goalkeeper from Inter Milan, Mike McNan, Latoro Martinez, and our friend Moses Casiedo. Um, So I suppose... Will Chelsea be that active in the market? How much did they spend last year? Six hundred million pounds. Uh, you know these signings. I'm looking at them here. Ballpark figure. They're probably all at least fifty million pound players. So you know that's if they sign two of them, another hundred million pounds thrown in on top of that. Do you think that Chelsea will be that active? Do you think they need six players? <laughs> I think defensively they do. I think defensively they're weak and I don't think you listed a defender among them. I know they listed two two goalkeepers there and I don't suspect that they will sign both uh, Mike from AC Milan or, or Andre Nana from Inter. I think it will be one or the other if they are to sign them. Um, and I, I, Nana has been massively linked uh, with Chelsea as well in, in, in recent months. Um, I'd be surprised about Caicedo as well. I think 
the midfield perhaps isn't as much of an issue for Chelsea. I know they might be losing Loftus-Cheek and, and letting, Mace, uh, letting both Loftus-Cheek and Mason out move on to, to try and balance the books a little bit. But you look at what's remaining there, you know, Enzo Fernandez in particular as well. Um, maybe may, maybe Caicedo's got more of a chance than, than perhaps others, but they definitely need reinforcements in defence. It's, it's a... Uh, it's hard to, I don't want to say it's aging, but but I think definitely in that centre uh, of defence, I know Kulibaly came in last year, but Thiago Silva's not getting any younger. He's still classy. He's still like a Rolls Royce defender, but he's not getting any younger. And you kind of look at that and you kind of, for all the money that Chelsea have spent, they do still need some additions. And it, it sounds so weird, but I think that's the thing. I think when Burley took over the club last summer, even if Roman Abramovich had remained uh, in charge, they, they'd reached that point where it was now starting to turn and, on the transition and some clubs like to do transitional periods over, you know, two, three, four years, you know, kind of slowly change the team, alter it. You know, you think about Fergie at Man United and kind of, it was never one massive rebuild. It was all kind of a bit here and a bit there and a bit there. I think for Chelsea and for Todd Burley, it's just kind of, we're just going to do it in one, you know, big 18 month period and, and kind of go from there. Um, and yeah, when the more you kind of analyze it, the more you start to think, yeah, they could do with one there, one there, one there, one there. And you very quickly get up to those six players, as you said there. I think you look at, you know, how, I know they're coming from different places, but you look at how Newcastle, and this is me as a Sunderland fan talking, but the way that they have rebuilt their team with their takeover, they didn't go for wholesale changes. They just added like little bits of quality that make a big difference you know Botman Bruno coming in massive um them two players to be honest have, have transformed that football club them coming in and you look at how Chelsea have approached it and they have just done the complete wrong thing they have went full where he's gonna buy he had a good world cup yeah we'll pay 100 million pounds for him even though he's only played six months in Europe you know and that that to me is just symbolic of somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. Well, I, I think I'd liken it to almost uh, putting new tyres on your Ferrari when the engine still doesn't work. Um, you know, I, I think I think the biggest uh, signifier of the fact, as you said, there of someone that doesn't know what they're doing, it's very scattergun, was the signing of of uh, Mikhail Mudrik in January. Chelsea have wingers coming out of their year, uh, coming out of their ears. They have, you know, more wingers than probably every other club, Premier League club combined. They have a lot there, and yet they still go and spend eighty-five million pounds on another winger, and they lack an out-and-out centre forward. And it's like, how how can you not see this? How can you not see that your team needs a focal point in attack? Go and spend if you have eighty-five million pounds, spend that on someone who can lead the line for you, and and be that striker for you, rather than. Oh yeah, we've got seven or eight wingers. None of them getting like this. This three or four that don't even get in the match day squad every week. Let's chuck another one of those in the mix. As you said, there it is. Uh, it smacks of someone that that doesn't know what they're doing, um, and it, it, it seems scattergun. Um, you know, among those six players, yes, I said the defence needs tightening up this summer, and, and in particular, I think central defence. Though of course they do have Ben Wabadishu and Wesley Fifana as well, but they didn't. Yeah, they get the opportunities to show their best form last year. So maybe they can brush over the defence this year. But absolutely, 100%, they need an out-and-out striker, an actual striker, not, you know, Kai Havertz, who's been forced into that striker role, or Raheem Sterling, who's been forced into that striker role for Chelsea. They need 
uh, you know, a, a, a big imposing figure up top that can hold up the ball, play through him, be that target man for them. That's the most important signing for them this summer. I think, you know, again, there I said about, you know, how the fact that you start going, oh, they could do a play here, there and everywhere with the six. If they had to sign one, has to, has to, has to be an out and out number nine. Uh, Kim, apologies for the dog bark. I think there's somebody at the door. Kim Min Jae is stolen on a new Napoli contract that would remove his release clause. Man United are reportedly interested in him, so he can leave for forty-two million pounds from July first. Is that a realistic move for Manchester United? Again, I think all the sounds are that Manchester United are leading the race and they seem fairly positive that, that a deal is getting over the line for Kim. Um, you know, an imposing figure in defence for Napoli as they won the Serie A title last season. Um, and £42 million for a player of his quality is an absolute steal in this current window. Um, so I'm not surprised he's stalling, as you said there, if the, if the release clause uh, is set to be removed. Um, because again, greatest respects to Napoli. I, I don't think they have the money or would be willing to offer the money that perhaps Manchester United might be able to uh, to Kim as well. So with regards to that respect, he can probably get a better deal at Old Trafford. And likewise, I think even though Napoli was superb last season, love watching him play. Shame they didn't end up going further in the Champions League. But without Luciano Spalletti, um, it's hard to know what direction they're going in next season as well, whether or not they can continue and maintain this. Um, so with regards to that respect, I think him, from a career progression point of view, has perhaps more chance of winning multiple trophies and the bigger prizes in, in European football, perhaps going forward if he was to move to Manchester United uh, as well. Yeah, we talked about Chelsea before. This would have been a logical move for Chelsea. Um, speaking of Chelsea, we, we talked yesterday it's quite a bit about Chelsea. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> um, we talked about Saudi Arabia quite a bit. We, we've touched on it. Have we touched on it today? Maybe a little bit with David De Gea. But Romelu Lukaku, according to the Mirror, will turn down and move to Saudi Arabia. So I think we kind of discussed this a little bit yesterday. Uh, we'll not obviously go into depth on this one, but I think that that seems to make sense to me. I think he's still got some good years in Europe. We'll move on to West Ham. They're in talks to sell Gianluca Scamacca to Roma. There's a big money deal that they, they went for last summer that has not worked out at all. Do you think that, well, A, they're not going to make that money back or the, if they sell him to Roma. Do you think that that's a, I suppose, a blot on, on David Moyes or is it David Moyes even doing the transfers there? Do you think this was a, one of them that was just handed to him and, you know, do what you want with them? It's funny. It's funny because what I was reading seems to suggest that West Ham wants to keep out with them. But of course, they're never going to come out and say yes, we are selling him because, uh, as we spoke about earlier on, on the podcast this week, you know, if you start doing that, then that drives the price down, and and it's a silly move to make. So, yeah, maybe West Ham are, are considering moving him on. It hasn't worked out for him in the Premier League. Um, it did in the Europa Conference League, um, and you know, some people might point to the caliber of opposition that West Ham plays played in that competition. Um, but I think it's more the style of European football perhaps suits him. I'm not sure if the Premier League, you know, you, we've seen it time and time again. There are plenty of players who have come across to the Premier League with big reputations, big potential. And, you know, Romelu Lukaku being one of them, he, he came back at Chelsea and, and he kind of struggled with that from the Italian game. Um, and, and Scamacca as well. I don't know if West Ham's style of play suited him. Um, <clears throat> he's, he, despite, you know, he's he's the archetypal or he's got a great touch for a big man, but he's actually really, really skillful. You look at some of the goals that he scored for West Ham and, and kind of how he set them up and everything else. He, he's a really, really skillful player. And I think David Moyes, um, I'm not saying that Skamaka shies away from a tackle, but I think David Moyes doesn't 
He wants, you know, kind of more spit and sawdust players rather than the kind of, you know, flashy players up top. Um, so it's a marriage that probably never worked out um, with regards to that because I think, you know, they would flourish in, you know, West Ham would flourish with a different type of striker from Skamaka. Skamaka would flourish in a different type of system from West Ham. Um, if they can get a good offer for him this summer in terms of the rebuild as well, because he's not a first-team regular, wasn't a first-team regular last season as well. So if they can get a decent uh, offer for him this summer, they might be inclined to move him on because they might be thinking, okay, there's someone else that we can look at that might be more in style with how we play. Um, and and they'll be able to kind of reinvest that in the squad and then hopefully move up the Premier League table next season. And last one, still technically a Premier League club, I think until the fixtures come out tomorrow. Uh, Leeds United are reportedly interested in Scott Parker to help their promotion charge. That's uh, an interesting one. Obviously, Scott Parker had a bit of a stinker of a season this past year um, at Bournemouth and then then moving in Europe. But what's your your view on that one? It's funny how quickly reputations change in football. Um, You know, everyone would have said probably this time last year, Scott Parker, great job at Fulham, great job getting Bournemouth back up to the Premier League. Um, you know, has that probably what we can describe as a meltdown after the 9-0 uh, defeat to Liverpool and, and says that the squad, you know, was not invested enough and, and we're probably going to go down. So obviously gets the sack after that. Um, the fact that Gary O'Neill was able to then keep most of that squad up, he did have a couple of players in January, but the fact that Gary O'Neill in his first job was able to keep them up and, and by quite some margin as well, then makes Parker look a little silly. Um, the fact as well that he goes off to Bruges who have, you know, been performing well in, in Belgian football in, in recent seasons as well. Probably one of the more dominant clubs there, you know, had a, a great spell of, of success uh, domestically in Belgium. Um, yes, it was a sticky season for them when he joined them, but he wasn't able to turn things around there. Um, so now all of a sudden people are looking at him like, oh, he's not that good a manager. And yet probably this time 12 months, people thought, oh, no, no, he's, he's, he's you know, one to watch a, a good developing young English manager. Um, for Leeds uh, I uh, personally look he's, he's clearly knows what it takes to get up from the championship he's done it you know twice in, in recent years so he knows what it takes I don't see why Leeds fans could could scoff at it they might you know again they'll look at the season gone and he's had a bad season and think oh you know is he is he really the manager for us but you know he's, he got Fulham up he got Bournemouth up Um you know, Fulham, I think he got them back up in that, uh, you know, in that first season when they went down and he, and he got Bournemouth up in his first season as well. He, he can get teams up. He's a, I wouldn't say promotion specialist. He goes against leads up. I will say that he's a promotion specialist, but he, he shows that he knows what it takes to get teams back into the Premier League. And so in terms of some of the other names that were being banded about, I think, I think Leeds could do a lot worse than Scott Parker um, simply because he knows that division so well and he knows how to win promotion from it. I think as well, he is a parachute payment manager, isn't he? You know, you look at the fact that he's got two teams up who have had parachute payments, and that means that he's used to dealing with a squad that maybe a lot of the players think they should be playing at a higher level. There'll be a lot of unhappy players. It's difficult when a club gets relegated to turn them, you know, I know it happens often that they do get promoted, but he knows how to build a team from relegation and get everybody singing from the same hymn sheet. So I think I think it's probably a good a good move 
for Leeds to bring him in. Uh, and I think that just about wraps this one up unless there's been some more major breaking transfer news while I've been recording. Uh, Ned, thanks for, for joining us today. And uh, please remember to subscribe to the Football Digest podcast wherever you listen or watch.